Hey, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. Good morning to you folks across the street at the video venue and all of you folks who are joining us online. We're, uh, we seem to be in one of those patterns where the snow comes on the weekend. Yay! So I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming out in the not-so-perfect weather to be a part of our worship today. We had a great crowd at 9 o'clock also, and appreciate those folks. You got a Bible, I want you to grab it and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. When you get to the Gospel of Mark, I want you to find the fifth chapter, and we're going to continue a special New Year's series called Rediscovering Jesus by talking about what I am fairly certain is a pretty familiar miracle in the life of Jesus to many of you. you know, Jesus is without question the most compelling person who has ever lived. More good has been done in his name than any other person in history. His name is more recognized than any other name in history. But the sad truth is, even though there are a lot of people who recognize Jesus' name and even a lot of people who know at least something about him, there are many people, even people who have spent their entire lives in church who really don't know much about him at all. And so what we're trying to do is spend four weeks looking at four scenes from the life of Jesus that show us, or maybe for some of us, that remind us of who he is and what he offers to ordinary people like you and me. And I know this morning, as I say just four weeks, that there's no way that we can do any more than just scratch the surface of who Jesus is. But really what my hope is, my hope is that I'll challenge everyone, both the curious all the way to the committed, to have a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and a deeper relationship with him moving forward in life. This week's scene comes from Mark chapter 5. So if you got your Bible open there, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence and respect for God's Word, and I'm going to read verses 25 through 34. Before I read that real quickly, let me just set the scene. Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee, surrounded by a large crowd of people. And listen, when I say a large crowd of people, I'm not talking about a crowd like this. This would be nothing compared to the crowd that was there. Remember, this was a time in Jesus' ministry when he was incredibly popular, and when large crowds came to see him. We're talking about thousands of people. Remember the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. That was just the men that were there. It wouldn't have been an exaggeration to think that there could have been 15 to 20,000 people there to see Jesus that day. This is the kind of crowd that was there. And while he's there, a rich, influential, religious man comes to Jesus, and he says to him, my daughter is dying. She was 12 years old. And he asked Jesus, will you come to my home and heal her? And Jesus said, yes, absolutely. And so they began to make their way to this man's house. His name was Jairus. And as he did, the crowd, in fact, if you look at verse 24, the verse right before we start reading, it says, so Jesus went with him. And note this, it says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So try to get that picture in your mind of Jesus and the crowd. And then we pick up our text in verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? 
You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. May God add his blessing to the reading of his words. You can be seated this morning. Thank you. The Gospel of Mark in the fifth chapter goes on to tell the story of how Jesus went to this man named Jairus, this religious leader's home, and he didn't heal his daughter from her sickness because before they even got there, a servant from Jairus' home met them on the way and said, don't bother the teacher any longer, your daughter has died. But Jesus looked at Jairus and said, basically, just believe. They went to their home, and there were already the trappings of an ancient funeral in place, and Jesus took Jairus and his wife upstairs to the little girl's room, and he took her by the hand, and he said to her in Aramaic, he said, Talitha kum, which means little lamb arise, and she did. He raised her from the dead. It was an absolutely incredible story of supernatural power, but it's the story of what happened along the way involving this woman with the bleeding disorder that captures my attention this morning. Because it gives us great, great insight into who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. And here's why I say that. This this man, Jairus, this religious leader, this influential man, he was a synagogue official. He was important. And so going to his house that day to heal his daughter would have been a high-profile ministry activity for Jesus. It would have done a lot for Jesus, potentially. And yet in the midst of that seemingly great opportunity, Jesus allows himself to be interrupted by a woman that nobody else even noticed. And I think that reveals some important truths about him that we need to understand. I got three of them in my notes this morning from the text. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down next to number one, this first truth about Jesus. Just write down the words, Jesus welcomes. That's the first thing I want to talk about. Jesus welcomes. Jesus welcomes who? Well, the truth is Jesus welcomes anyone I want you to know that this woman in this story this morning, for all practical intents and purposes, was nobody, literally. She had no power. She had no influence. We're already told in the story that she had no money. All she had when she came to Jesus was a physical need. Verses 25 and 26 say this, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Let's pause there for a moment before we read verse 26. We don't know what caused this bleeding. We don't have any idea about what this was. It could have been a tumor. It could have been some other disease of the uterus. But here's what that meant to her. Having a bleeding disorder for 12 years, this is what it meant for her. It meant that she, for the last 12 years of her life, had been viewed as being ceremonially unclean according to the Old Testament law. And so those 12 years for her would have been an absolute nightmare. I wish I could find words stronger than that to describe it. An absolute nightmare. She would have suffered greatly during that period of time. Verse 26 goes on to say, in fact, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. That's why I said she had no money. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. You ever known anybody who was sick? Maybe this describes you at some point in your life. Anybody who was sick, but they couldn't determine what the problem was, and so they went from doctor to doctor to specialist to specialist, and every time with each new doctor, each new specialist, there was some kind of an invasive examination along the way, poking and prodding and blood work and x-rays and all kinds of things, only to never be able to find an answer, never get any kind of an accurate diagnosis that led to a cure. That was the reality of this 
woman's life. We can't take lightly the words she suffered, had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. It's interesting, as I was studying for this message this week, I found that what this woman suffered from, this bleeding disorder, was not an uncommon affliction in ancient days. In fact, the Jewish Talmud, and what the Talmud was basically, this is a very simple explanation, is a collection of extra-biblical Jewish writing and tradition, prescribed 11 different cures for this kind of a physical disorder. In fact, they're so bizarre. The most bizarre one I found was this. Here was the cure, carrying around the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer and a cotton bag in the winter. Doesn't that sound crazy? Everyone say yes. You think this woman tried that? Everyone say yes. Surely she did. Surely she did because that was the level of her desperation with this physical need. I'm telling you, I mean it when I say her life had been a nightmare. If she had family, she could only interact with them. For 12 years, the only interaction she could have with her family was from a distance. For 12 years, she would, have not allowed to ent- she would not have been allowed to enter into the temple or enter into any synagogue, and so she would have lived for 12 years as a social and religious outcast, in social and religious isolation. For 12 years, she had absolutely no life. But verse 27 says, When she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And verse 28 says that's exactly what happened. And what's more? The story told us that Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And so when that happened, he turned and he asked, who touched my clothes? In other words, he stopped and he turned to her and he ministered to her as if she were the only one there. Remember, there are probably thousands of people there. But in that moment, he ministered to her like she was the only one there. And in a spiritual sense, as far as he was concerned, she was. Because this is how Jesus relates to people. He's completely accessible. He has an open door policy. He was accessible then. He's accessible now. He's the God of the universe. He's the Lord of all creation. And yet a woman who no one else would have even dared to have contact with that day got to have a personal audience with him. I don't know if we always understand how amazing that really is. I don't know if you remember the name Cindy Sheehan or not, but several years ago, she got a lot of publicity in national news and she got that publicity because she demanded in a very public way a personal private meeting with President George W. Bush. Her son Casey Sheehan had been killed in the Iraqi war in April of 2004. In June of 2004 she got a personal meeting with President Bush but when she talks about it she says I was I was so emotionally overwhelmed in the moment of being in the presence of the president that I really stumbled through our time together and didn't ask the questions that I needed to ask and so she wanted another meeting and she demanded it so much so that she set up a camp outside of his Texas ranch for five weeks when he was on vacation and then when he was back to work in the White House she set up a camp of sorts outside of the White House until she was arrested for loitering She demanded this meeting. Now, I have absolutely no political point to make with that story. And honestly, I can't even begin to imagine the significance and the pain of that kind of loss. But 
I can say this. I think it's pretty bold for anyone to demand a meeting, to demand a meeting with the President of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, to sit down and talk to him about public policy. She wanted to have questions answered about the war and about her son's death. See, here's the point. Ordinary people like you and me, we don't have access to that kind of power, even if we wanted it. That's why it's so amazing to think that we have constant access to an even greater power and an even greater authority than the President of the United States. We have unlimited access to the very creator of the universe. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what we should understand. In fact, look at these words on the screen behind me from Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. The Hebrew writer says, Let us therefore come boldly, everyone say boldly, boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the reality of our lives with Jesus. And so those words tell us that it doesn't matter who we are, we can approach him with boldness. We can come to God with boldness. Jesus welcomes people like you and me regardless of what our status is in the world. In fact, in just the same way, Jesus stopped what he was doing in Mark chapter 5 and gave his undivided attention to that woman with that bleeding disorder. He's willing to stop and give his undivided attention to you today if you come to him with a need. So the first thing we see about Jesus is Jesus welcomes. Right down next to number two, these words, Jesus cleanses. You know what? Here's the deal. When I read this story, and I, you'll probably agree with me, but when I read this story, there's no doubt in my mind that what this woman wanted to do was to make her way through the crowd, reach out and touch the robe of Jesus, or this is how I always heard it, the hem of his garment, be healed, and then slip away in complete and total anonymity. Don't you think that was her desire? She wanted to be anonymous in that moment. It took a tremendous amount of courage for her to mingle with the crowd that day, knowing that anyone she came in contact with would be labeled unclean according to the law, but she did it anyway because she believed that Jesus was her only hope, her final hope to make her clean. In fact, one of my favorite parts of the story is just the very first part of verse 27. Look at the very first part of verse 27. It says about her, when she heard about Jesus. What do you think she had heard about Jesus? Well, no doubt she had heard that he was a powerful healer. No doubt she had heard that he had healed lepers, for example. And that would have really meant a lot to her because lepers would have been much like her in terms of being social and religious outcasts, being separated from people and having to, to, to live with people from a distance. She'd heard that he had healed demoniacs and all other kinds of sickness and all other kinds of diseases. And she believed that if he could do that for them, he could do that for her as well. And she just wanted to touch his robe, just his cloak, just the hem of his garment. Apparently, there were other people who believed this about Jesus too, because this is in Mark chapter 5. If you go back to Mark chapter 3 and verse 10, you find this about Jesus. In fact, read this with me. Let me hear your voices. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Maybe that's what she had heard about Jesus. That he was so incredibly powerful that if you could just get close enough to touch him or just touch his garments, that you could be healed. And she was so desperate. So she worked her way through the crowd. She got as close as she could. She touched his cloak and she was healed. Now I want you to think about something with me. This woman, I already told you, according to the Old Testament law, was ritually, ceremonially unclean. And so technically, according to the Old Testament law, her act of touching Jesus would have made him unclean as well. But that's not what happened. 
When she touched Jesus, her impurity didn't defile him. His purity cleansed and healed her. And so while based on the law, she was an outcast, while based on the law, she was unclean to society, she was never an outcast, and she was never unclean when it came to Jesus. And the moment she touched his cloak, she was healed by the power of God. And here's what that means for you and me in very simple terms. You're never too unclean to reach out and touch Jesus. Somebody should say amen to that. Never. You're never too unclean to reach out and touch Jesus. You're never too bad. You're never too impure. You're never too lost. You're never too far gone. You're never too anything to reach out and touch him. He can cleanse and heal anyone. Doesn't matter what anyone else might think of you. It doesn't matter who might reject you in this world. Jesus welcomes you and he he cleanses you. We see this again all throughout the Bible as he healed all kinds of people with all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. They all found mercy in his open arms because Jesus cleanses. You know, when I say that, I feel compelled to say that I'm certain that there are people here this morning in this room across the street listening to me online. I'm certain that there are people here this morning who are struggling with any number of things in their lives. But let me just narrow the focus and say I'm sure that there are people here this morning who are struggling with some kind of sin in their life. And the reason why I am absolutely certain that's true for you That as you go through life, you struggle with sin at times. The reason why I'm certain that that's true for you is because I know it's true for me. And you and me, we're not that different. And because of that, we might have times in our lives when we're tempted to view ourselves as unclean because of what we've done or because of how many times we've failed or how many times we've broken promises, whether they were promises to someone else or they were promises to ourselves or they were promises to God. And so we might see ourselves that way at times, but God never does. The Bible teaches us, again, that you're never too unclean to reach out and touch Jesus. And his goodness is greater than your badness, if you can say it that way. His goodness is greater than my badness. His strength is greater than my weakness. And when you reach out and touch him in faith, no matter how many times you've failed in the past, he has the ability to make you clean because Jesus cleanses. Write down next to number three, these words. We see number one, Jesus welcomes. We see number two, Jesus cleanses. We see number three, that Jesus cares. Jesus cares. Here, here, here is to me a really interesting part of the story, okay? The woman makes her way through the crowd. She reaches out and she touches the robe of Jesus. Immediately she knows she's healed. In fact, look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, immediately. Everyone say immediately. Immediately. This is after touching him. Her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. That's interesting to me, and here's why. Because even though she was healed immediately, that wasn't the end of the story. Wasn't the end of the story for her, and it's not the end of the story for us as we read the story today. Jesus realized, we're told, that power had gone out for him, so he turned, remember, and he asked, who touched my clothes? And I'm sure that seemed like an absolutely ridiculous question to the disciples who were there and to anybody who was close enough to hear him. And I'm sure somebody said, who touched you? Who didn't touch you? There's people everywhere. But Jesus knew what he was asking, and he was persistent about it. Verse 32 says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, to see who had touched him. And then verse 33 says, 
that the woman came forward. It says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Or in other words, we should write this down, told him her whole story, all 12 years worth. Now, here's the interesting question. Why did Jesus insist on finding the person who touched him that day? I mean, as you think about it, hadn't she been through enough already? Hadn't she endured enough humiliation and enough shame? She had endured humiliation and shame for 12 years. Why did he single her out like that? And I think the answer is this simple. It's because Jesus cares about each of us individually. And even though she could have slipped away in complete anonymity, Jesus knew that there was power in a personal encounter, that she needed a personal encounter with him in that moment. I think Jesus knew how powerful it would be for her to hear him say these words, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And all of this because Jesus cares. He cares for hurting people. He cares for wounded people. He cares for people in need. Jesus cares. If you've been going to church here for any length of time, then chances are you've heard me tell a story about my grandmother, my mother's mother, who is the spiritual matriarch of our family. If you were to research our family history from kind of a spiritual perspective, you'd see that we have no spiritual heritage, no faith background, just a bunch of people who lived far from God. Until my grandmother, who owned a bar, owned and operated a bar on the west side of Tulsa, Oklahoma with my grandfather and lived the kind of life that was associated with that. That's the kind of life my mother was raised in and that's the kind of life she lived. She was in a terrible automobile accident and her pelvis was crushed and both of her legs were broken badly. And so she found herself flat on her back in a hospital bed in Tulsa, Oklahoma with heavy leather and metal braces from the waist down and it was while she was there in that hospital bed that men from a local church came and sat next to her bed and told her what we call the gospel which means good news the good news that God loved her and in fact he loved her so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for her to pay the penalty for her sin and if she were to put her faith and trust in him her sin could be forgiven and she would have the opportunity at her at, at that point of her life to be made brand new And that's what she did. She put her faith and trust in Jesus, and her life was forever changed. And that was the beginning of of our spiritual heritage in our family. My grandmother got out of the hospital, and she told my grandfather they needed to sell that bar, and they sold that bar. And she actually went to work at the church where those men came from, and she was the church secretary there for 16 years. I was really close to my grandmother growing up. I loved her deeply. I spent a lot of time around her. I can remember going to the church and spending time with her at the church while she was doing her job as a secretary. This will jog the memory of some of you. I can remember watching her crank that old mimeograph machine when she was spitting out the bulletins for the weekly service. It was fascinating to me. My grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer after she had been working there for about 16 years. And she was like a lot of women in her generation. When she discovered that there was a lump on her breast, she was too frightened to say anything about it. And so she waited until it got really large before she said anything about it. And by that time, it was pretty much too late. She went to the hospital and had a complete mastectomy, but the prognosis wasn't good. She went through chemotherapy locally, but the prognosis wasn't good. My family lived in Houston, Texas at the time, and so my mother and my father 
brought my grandparents, my grandmother, my grandfather to Houston and she went to MD Anderson Hospital, which is a world famous cancer research hospital. And they tried one experimental drug after another, one after another, after another, but nothing worked. And she died there. I remember a few days before she died, my older sister Candy and I were in the hospital room with her, sitting next to her bed, singing to her. We used to sing a lot together, my sister Candy and I. We were singing hymns of faith. And at one point, my sister Candy looked at her. We called her Mama and said, Mama, is there any song that you'd like to hear? And she looked back and she said, Jesus cares. I had no idea what that song was. I mean, in my mind, the only thing I could think of was the old hymn, No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus. This is a great old hymn. And so we sang that one together. And just a few days later, she died. It wasn't until we were getting ready for our funeral service that my sister and I realized what she was talking about. Because when we were in college together, we used to travel and represent the school and local churches and sing. And there was a song we used to sing together. And it wasn't called Jesus Cares But the last part of the chorus went like this. It said, come unto me with your burdens and the troubles you can't seem to bear. Jesus gives rest to the heavy laden, for Jesus is the one who cares. I was 19 years old when my grandmother died, and all my 19 years of, of my life up to that point, the only thing I knew about my grandmother was what I knew after she had become a Christian. But when I got older... I learned a little bit more about what her life was like before that. And it wasn't good. I learned about my mother's life before she became a Christian. And it wasn't good. My grandfather was a lot older than my grandmother. And I learned that he was married and had a family. And he had an extramarital affair with my grandmother. And when he did, he completely abandoned his family to marry her. And that's how they began their life together. And I learned that my mother got pregnant when she was a senior in high school. Her boyfriend was a football player. He got a scholarship to play college football. And after he left, she found out she was pregnant. She sent him a letter that said that. And he left college. He left his scholarship. He came home and he married her. And they had my older sister, Candy. But my grandmother, and this is inexplicable to me. I can't understand why this would happen, why she would do this, apart from the fact that she just had no knowledge of God. But my grandmother had met an older man in the bar, and for some reason, even though my mother was already married, she became convinced that my mother needed to meet this man. And so she introduced this man to my mother, and my mother had an extramarital affair with him. And she took my sister Candy and abandoned her husband, who had abandoned everything to marry her. And my grandmother convinced my mother to not tell my sister Candy that she had a different biological father than my mother's second husband, who was the biological father for my brother Carrie and me. I can't even imagine that. This is the reality of the kind of life that they lived. So it's no wonder to me. When my grandmother was laying flat on her back in that hospital bed and men came and told her, your sin can be forgiven and your life can be made made new, it's no wonder to me that she jumped at that opportunity, that she leapt at that opportunity, that she couldn't embrace it fast enough because of the life that she had lived. 
That's why when she got out of the hospital, even though she was still wearing those heavy, thick leather braces and metal braces, she said, I want to be baptized. She went to church the very first Sunday, and they said, well, you should wait till you get out of these braces. She said, I'm not waiting another day. And so multiple men carried her down into the baptistry in a metal folding chair, and they baptized her in the most awkward way because she wasn't going to wait another day to be united with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. The way Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 6. I love my grandmother deeply. She was very influential in my life. She was so proud of me. And when I learned all those things about her, it made me love her even more. Because she had the courage to reach out and touch Jesus when he offered her the opportunity for cleansing. And he offered her the opportunity to have her life changed. My mother did the same thing. And it made me love her even more. All because Jesus cares. One more thing before we leave this point. I really believe Jesus wanted this woman this day. The reason why he singled her out is he wanted to... There was one thing in particular that he wanted her to hear him say. He wanted her to hear him say, your faith has healed you because down the road, he didn't want her to think uh, that maybe her life had been changed by some kind of a magical robe or a magical cloak. He wanted to know that her life had been changed by her faith, by her faith. Because her physical healing wasn't the most important thing that happened that day. The most important thing that had happened was that her entire life had been changed. Because if you look down at verse 34 where it says that he told her, daughter, your faith has healed you. The word healed there is the Greek word sozo in the original language, which is the normal New Testament word to describe salvation, to describe being saved. It means being forgiven. She wasn't just physically healed that day. She was spiritually healed as well. And he wanted, Jesus wanted her to know that it was because of her faith. This is what Jesus does because Jesus cares. Brian, you can go ahead and come and we'll close. I got three observations here and I won't talk about them. But just three things real quickly and I might just mention a couple things about them. When I finished reading this story and I finished writing all this down, I wrote these three things down. This woman came to Jesus all alone. That's the first one. Now, understandably so because of the Old Testament law, because she was labeled as ceremonially and ritually unclean. But she came to Jesus all alone. You know what that means? Everybody look up here. That means for 12 years she suffered all alone, all alone. And it just made me wonder how many people that we know in our lives or come in contact with in the network of our lives each and every day who are all alone, who feel all alone, who may be suffering all alone. It doesn't have to be that way. And so my challenge for everybody, for all of you, for myself first and all of you, is this week when we go back to our lives to just take the time to look around and notice somebody who's alone, notice people who are suffering alone and make sure that they don't have to continue that way. I don't imagine there's anybody listening to me this morning that can't do that, that can't just come alongside of somebody and just be present. It might, it might stretch you out of your comfort zone, but it's what Jesus would do. Nobody should have to suffer all alone. The second thing I've got written down here is, this is an amazing thing when you think about it. There were lots of people that pressed around Jesus that day, thousands of people, but we only have one story of one person who had their life changed. Why do you think that is? 
Well, I think that's simply because you, you can come to Jesus, you can spend a lot of time around Jesus, but if you're just curious, it's not going to make a difference in your life. If you, do, if you do it just because he's attractional to you, it's not going to make a difference in your life. It's only when you come to him with faith and you believe that he can do for you whatever it is you need. That's when your life is changed. That's why there are people who come to church week after week after week and they hear the truth about Jesus week after week after week and they even see the reality of Jesus changing other people's lives week after week after week and then when the service is over, they get up and they walk out the door just exactly the same way that they came in. No change, no difference. It's not enough to be curious. It's not even enough to be drawn to him. You gotta bring faith you got to come to him in faith. And the third and final thing is not so much an observation as it is a reminder. If there's anybody here this morning who's struggling, a personal encounter with Jesus will save your life because Jesus cares about you today. He cares about you. You might think nobody else in the world does. You might feel like you've been rejected by your family, your friends, and anybody that you've ever known or come in contact with. But Jesus, I'm telling you today, cares about you.